things uh, as we start. Uh, we've been at, people have been asking about new stickers. So, uh, Mike, you went, ooh, okay. <laughs> whatever. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you look on a lot of cars, we have these relief stickers that are all cut out. Uh, if you have tinted windows, that's great. But if you don't have tinted windows, like my wife, for some reason, she doesn't like tinted windows. She's like, I don't like tinted windows. And I don't know why. I don't want to sit in the back seat without tinted windows. I want to be like all cool. Like, oh, you know, um, AC walking out the back seat, you know, something, you know. But anyway, <laughs> word. I know, I say it like a white boy. I'm sorry. Anyway, so. If you don't, if you want some, Mikey make full, made full color stickers. Uh, I think they're like five bucks. Uh, we're not making money, just trying to recoup our costs on them. So there you go. If you wanted one, they look like that. If you put it on your car, you can't drive like a nut. Because I cannot tell you how many people I see cut somebody else off, and I'm like, oh, and it's like, oh, they got an element sticker. Sweet. Way to go. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so. Uh, we usually in summer hits, we do this thing called film and theology. And this year, when we hit uh, the summer, we're doing the same thing. June 21st, we're going to do Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, what we do is we show you movies uncut. Okay, it's not like we're like whatever those Christian places are, like cut movies all to pieces. And it's like, oh, we took out all. Somebody said, damn, oh my goodness, we're all going to go to hell. Whatever. So we don't do it. We want you to see the movie as a director intended, as the writers intended. So we show it to you uncut. Um, and after we do that, then we talk about, you know, how the gospel relates. What's the worldview of the movie? What are they trying to say? And then how does the gospel kind of relate to that? And how can we speak into that? It's kind of what uh, the Apostle Paul did throughout the book of Acts. And as he was a brilliant guy, so we're just trying to do that with our current medium today, which are movies. And so what we're trying to do is do all first-run movies. So uh, I think this is like the week after Oz the Great and Powerful comes out. We're going to do it. Uh, July 26th is the week that 42 comes out. Uh, Iron Man, August 23rd. So we're doing them all the week that come out. So you don't need to go rent it. You can come here and watch it with us. And then we can talk about the movies, and it's an awful lot of fun. There's also a snack bar. So, again, the first one is Oz the Great and Powerful. I actually watched it, and it's actually kind of interesting. It probably wasn't be a movie I would actually watch if I wasn't going to talk about it. But since I'm talking about it, I figured I better watch it. And it's all right if you like that kind of thing. Welcome to Elm. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, uh, you can download an app. The app is called Uversion. You click on Live and Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all that go along with the message today, all those questions and stuff. All right, why don't you stand there? You're reading God's Word. We'll get going here. Uh, this is Proverbs 27, verse 6. And it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand that friends will many times say very hard things to us, and we need to be able to trust that. And yet it is our enemies who constantly tell us things that always seem to make us feel good about ourselves. And so I ask that we would trust the truth that our friends display to us, but more importantly, the truth that you reveal in our lives, so we would honor you in all things. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is Genesis week 69. We are very close to the end, but again, uh, 69, we're, we're like a, a week off here or so. So next week will be Genesis 67 when my friend comes and talks to you guys about Genesis week 67. It'll be on the website. It'll all look good for all of you anal types. It'll all just kind of flow down. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up about today's message. I almost talked about this during Easter, but I thought it dovetailed so much better into today's message. So uh, if you have a Bible, open to Genesis 49 going to take a little bit to get there, 
today we see again like last week, Jacob is about to die. He is on his deathbed. He is saying goodbye to his grandchildren last week, puts his hands on them, and he blessed them. And today he's going to say goodbye to his children, and he's going to do the same thing for them by blessing them by being brutally honest. And when I say brutally honest, I mean brutally honest. And so, you know, we end up thinking, you know, on, on our deathbeds, everybody's supposed to be so nice and, and all that. But Jacob is concerned for his kids that are going to come after him. Are they going to follow God? Are they going to worship Jesus? You know, and, and so when we get to these verses, some of you are going to be like, I can never say that to my kids. Well, sometimes you better. Because more important than your kids' happiness is their holiness. And for God and us, that is, God's important for us is our holiness, not necessarily our happiness. So much parenting today is, hey, let's build our kids' self-esteem. You know who has the highest self-esteem ever? Satan. Got him kicked out of heaven. You know what? I know you're like, well, my kid's pretty close now. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 just, it just could happen. See, we want kids to have a really high self-esteem, but what that starts to do is it makes them look at their selves. They're always looking inward. And the older we get, the more we realize about ourselves that we're terrible. We're terrible. And this is why we look in the light of Christ, who we are because of him and what he has done. We actually become people who can actually have a better view of the world around us because we know what we're really like. And so what you have to understand as we, you know, not push towards self-esteem but push towards truth, that love is not rude, but it's also not dishonest. And so in truth, we are not being rude. We're being very honest. Imagine you went and you picked up your car from where you took it for a tune-up. And your technician says to you, oh, man, your car is in great shape. It's wonderful. You must have an automotive genius that takes care of your car, which would be him. You know, so he'd talk like that about himself. And, and so you pick up your car. You drive like a mile away, and your brakes go out. You slam into the guy in front of you. You're like, what's going on? You go back to your mechanic with the tow truck. You go back to your mechanic. You say, what's going on with my car? Why didn't you tell me there was something wrong with my car? You know, and the guy says, well, you know, I didn't want you to feel bad. You know, plus, to be honest, I was afraid you might get upset with me if I said something negative about your car. We want this to be a nice, safe place where you feel loved about you and your crappy car. You know, you'd be furious. You say, when it comes to my car, I don't want some fantasy-based ego boost about me and my car. When it comes to my car, I want the truth. Imagine you go to your doctor's office for a checkup, and the doctor says, oh, my goodness, you are just a magnificent, magnificent physical specimen. You are amazing. You're like a Greek god. You should be an Olympian. And you walk out the door and you're walking down the steps away from your doctor's office and you have a heart attack walking down the steps. And next thing you know, it's like a couple weeks later because they had to crack, crack open your chest and, you know, get out the clogs on all your arteries. So you're actually, you know, able to get blood flowing through it and all that. And you go back to your doctor and you say, why didn't you tell me? And the doctor says, well, I know your body's in worse shape than the Pillsbury Doughboy, but I didn't want to tell you that, that you're one jelly donut away from a heart attack because, you know, you wouldn't like me. You'd be angry at me. That's really bad for, for business. You wouldn't come back. I want this to be a safe place where you just feel loved and accepted. You'd be totally furious because when it comes to our body, we want the truth. When something matters to us, we want the truth about it. We don't, we don't want comfort based upon pain avoidance. We want the truth, except when it comes to what we believe, when it comes to what we really want to do, especially when it goes in the, in the opposite of what God calls us to do. We want anything but the truth in those circumstances. When it comes to us and our souls, we're not sure we want the truth. Winston Churchill wrote this. He said, men occasionally stumble on the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. That's what typically happens. The question becomes, how much does your soul actually matter to you, really? In a lot of churches, people will attend as long as they hear things they like. And as, soon as, as long as they hear something they don't like, then they just leave. Uh, Element is not one of those churches that tell you things you always like. I mean, I feel like I'm in your face every single week. And I'm surprised happy actually come back. 
there's a lot of churches you go to. It's like, hey, we're not going to call you on your anger management issues because we all have anger management issues, so we'll just let that go because we don't want to be called on it ourselves. Oh, you spend your money like you know it's all on yourself and, and you're not generous? Well, we won't really call you on that because you know we want you to feel good about yourself. Oh, you know, you, you, you're uh, passive in the face of injustice? Well, that's okay. We'll just point out sin out there. Never really sin in our lives, so we'll just point out there and you'll be okay. We want you to leave here always feeling good about yourself. Sometimes I want you to leave here feeling terrible about yourself is what the truth is. I'll tell you, the Apostle Paul says we should not give into deceitful schemes because they're all deceitful schemes. In Ephesians 4.15, he says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We need people who will speak the truth to us because we have a sin problem and it is worse than we think. And just look at a few statements in the scriptures. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Obadiah 1.3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Michael Novak writes this, our capacity for self-deception has no known limits. And all sin involves self-deception and pride. And what's sobering about this is our self-deception is going on inside of us even right now. It is, it is daily, it is hourly, it is virtually incessantly. And many times we don't even notice that it's going on. And this is a part of the dynamic of what sin is. Just take materialism, for example. We'll take somebody, I'm going to call him Steve, because I don't really have any Steves that are close friends. So you don't think I'm talking about somebody. I'm just throwing it out there as an example, okay? So imagine Steve has a big house, makes more money than me. He's got a nicer widescreen HD TV than me, and so I'm jealous, and I, and I want that, but, but I can't have it. And so I don't want to really admit that, that I'm jealous because it would make me feel bad. So instead, I get very spiritual, and I say, man, Steve's being really materialistic. I can't believe he has all those things. He's just not as concerned about the poor as I am because if he was concerned about the poor, he wouldn't have all those things. I think all of his stuff's going to separate him from God. And all of a sudden, my envy, I just added that judgmentalism, all because of my own inadequacies. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we really have a spiritual concern, but it's really just sin on the backside. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. You know, there is, the Bible is really clear about materialism and how it's bad for us, but we don't even like to talk about that in churches because if I talk about materialism, you might get mad at me or you might feel bad at them going after your wallet or something like that. We don't want anybody to call us on our lifestyle. We don't like people to point out that today, 30,000 little children will die in our world from preventable diseases. Today. We don't like people to tell us that a billion people on our planet do not have access to clean drinking water, you know, millions of which are Christian brothers and sisters. We don't like that. And without even thinking about it, we adopt a perspective and change all of our circumstances so it enables us to live with our sin of just focusing on ourselves and what we want. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, I get to see exchanges between parents and kids all the time, sometimes from up here. You may not notice, but I see a lot of stuff going on, all right? I, I could tell you stories, but I won't. Okay, so in the back, uh, there's food. If you never notice, there's actually food in the back. We, we put that out for all of you guys. You know, and you may not notice, but in all the kids' classrooms, they have snacks. They have, they have food. I was walking past the, the nursery this morning, and for some reason, there's Cheerios all over the floor. You just need to dump some milk on the floor, and they'd be good to go. I mean, it's like a pile of Cheerios. I, I don't know how that works, but whatever. So I'm, I'm in the back one time, and uh, th- there's a parent. And they have their little kid, and their kid's over, and they're taking some food. And the parent says, did you just take some food you weren't supposed to? Right? And the kid says, no. Now, this is the amazing thing about food. When it's somebody else's, it always tastes better. Right? You get potato chips, and there's somebody else. Oh, these are the best potato chips ever. And you go buy your own bag, and it's like, these just don't taste the same. 
Somebody else buys some McDonald's French fries. You're like, oh, these are the best French fries ever. And you go buy your own McDonald's French fries. They just don't taste the same. I don't know why it is, but it's just a rule and a law. Thus says the Lord, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so so the, the mom says, you take that. The kid says, no. The mom says, I saw you. And the, this is what the kid says. Do you think I would lie to you? <laughs> right? Right? It's kind of funny, you know, because, you know, the kid thought the parent would cage with their cute innocence. They did. I know who it was. I saw you. Just letting you know. All right? I went, I'm like, this is a great sermon illustration. I'm going to write this down right now. This is, this is perfect. Now, if I had a kid and a kid said to me, do you think I'd lie to you? I would say, yes, I think you'd lie to me. I lie. Everybody lies. Your mom lies more than me. Everybody lies. <laughs> you know, everybody does. What you have to understand is trying to grow spiritually without hearing the truth about ourselves from somebody else would be like trying to do brain surgery on yourself without even a mirror. Jesus says in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you believe what Jesus actually says there? Do you believe the truth will set you free? Because here's the truth about truth. The truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. It just does because we all try to avoid the truth. I mean, I can talk to people. All, I, know, I know some people are like, they think they're extroverts. Oh, I'm so outgoing. They're not. Okay, They want to hide in a little hole and read a book. No, I'm an extrovert. You're not an extrovert. I know someone who, who is a, a total pessimist, but they think they're a total optimist. Oh, I'm always roses and sunshine. It's like, no, you're always like dead puppies and, and tickets from the police officers. I mean, that, that's what you are. You know? and we're, we're always trying to fool ourselves into things that we're, that we're not. We compartmentalize our thoughts. We use whatever perspective helps us think about ourselves in the way that we would like to think about ourselves. We have what I would like to call strategic memory loss. And God knows this. And this comes true in, in dealing with God as well. Jeremiah 2.32 says, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? The implied answer is no. He says, Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. See, we have this thing where we forget things that are not, not important to us, remember things that we think are. Like when I want to go wakeboarding, I never forget Okay, I know, time to go, sweet, done. I'll take that day off work and we'll be going wakeboarding. When I got to exercise, I forget all the time. Oh, I didn't run my mile today, oops. You know, all the time. So you know what I'm talking about. You know, and it turns out I don't actually forget things at random. You know, I remember what really matters to me. And people who know me know this better about me than I even know about myself. And so I have to trust people to come into my life. Like, I will forget acts of servanthood I should be doing. And sometimes I have people who will walk up and say, hey, you know, you should have been like, oh, yeah, and I will listen to that. But it goes even farther because in not looking at ourselves how we're supposed to, we forget God in our lives. Neil Plantiga writes this. He says, I can go hours and days and weeks at a time never really thinking about him, never really turning my heart and will over to him, never seriously attending to him, never bringing him to sustain focus into my mind. The thought that by doing this, I am wounding the one who loves me. The thought that I am entangled more and more in the sin that brought Jesus to the cross. That thought becomes bearable and then routine. Eventually, I find that God doesn't seem very real. I find myself not praying all that much. And the less I pray, the less real God seems. I forget God. I forget sin. In the scriptures, you have a guy, his name is King David. King David sleeps with a woman, not his wife, named Bathsheba. So you got so you got Bathsheba, and then he ends up in a way killing her husband by putting him on the front line of this thing, and then he totally forgets about it. It takes the prophet Nathan going up to him and saying, David, this is what you did. And he's like, oh, I totally forgot. How do you forget that? You, you watch the news all the time, and you will see people, like creatures, always getting busted for weird and crazy things, and yet the whole time they're preaching against the same sin they are talking about. 
How about people sometimes on Wall Street? Oh, let's talk about pluranthropy, you know, and, and all these business ethics. And what they do on the backside is they have this giant Ponzi scheme and they're destroying a nation. How do they do that? It's the same thing that you and I do every day on a different scale around our own sexuality, around gossip, around judgmentalism, around racism, around vindictiveness, around envy. We just forget. We block it out of our minds because we want to see about ourselves just what we think we want to be and not who we really are. This is why we need each other to come alongside of us. We need each other desperately. And Paul talks about the way that you grow spiritually, the way that you grow up. He says, speaking the truth. Now, this is today what Jacob's going to do to his sons. He's going to speak the truth, and it's brutal, and it's honest. But he speaks the truth. Then we're going to round that out with you and I and kind of bring that back together. So Genesis 49, verse 1, this is Jacob talking to his kids at the end of his life. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now he calls himself by the name that God actually gave him. The first kid is Reuben. Verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You almost hear the pain of the words he's going to say next unstable as water you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed then you defiled it he went up to my couch jacob does not look at reuben and say reuben oh you're a good boy god's happy with you he tells him the truth reuben you're a pervert you have got to straighten up because you're ruining your life god is not happy with that and in christianity there are truths that hurt sometimes because god wants us to know the truth even when it hurts Not everybody spends eternity with God. Reuben, you're a bad man. Reuben had sex with his stepmom to dishonor his father. He never repented. Reuben was a dirty man. Some of you in this room, you have sinned or are sinning sexually. Pornography, you're fooling around, whatever it is, and you've never repented. You are Reuben, and you must repent. I'm glad Jacob said it. I didn't have to say that. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, there ends up being 12 tribes in Israel, and eventually these two tribes are assimilated into the tribe of Judah. And he says, you boys, you are thugs. He knows they are men, and he knows they are mean men. How does he know this? Because they killed an entire town. They hurt animals. You know how most serial killers start? Hurting animals. Exactly. And so he says this, you know, you you boys, you have something deeply wrong with you. There are two really common sins of men, which is perversion and angry violence. And and I I know this personally as well. I'll tell you, um, I was driving down to Element a couple years ago now. I'm driving down the road, and don't hate me for this, okay, but I'm driving down the road, and there's like a guy about 400 yards off from me. And and I am the only guy on the road. And this guy just walks out, and he sees me coming, and he just stops in the middle of the road like this. I'm like, what's up with that? Are you challenging me? Is that what you're doing? So I get a little irritated, right? Just like, oh, I'll make you stop. You know what I do? I rev my engine, I sped up. And whoa, he jumps out of the way. Jesus loves you. Say hi to him when you meet him after I run you over. You know, that's, I'm serious. I'm ser- I get angry quick. I- you want to pay chicken? I got a car. Okay, that's what it is. Run him out of the way, I laugh as I go to church and I work for God. There you go. See, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, guys can get angry really 
fast. And, and we know this. This is why we need each other to help us out. We must fight against this daily. We are to care for animals. We're, we're not to murder people. These are the final words that these boys hear from their dad. You guys are thugs and you're jerks and I am disappointed. He loves his boys. He's not going to lie to them. The next boy is Judah. Judah is a good case. Okay, Judah is a guy who had a bad track record, sold his brother into slavery. That's bad in case you didn't know. Uh, he has some bad kids. He slept with his daughter-in-law and then he gets saved. And now he works with God and not against God. Verse 8, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That's nice to hear. What he just said is you're going to kick butt. So that's really nice to hear. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouches a lion and a lioness. Who dares rouse him? And then he gets into pointing towards Jesus. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. Now that right there actually means he's rich, he's got a lot of money, because if you tether your donkey to a vine, it eats the grapes. Poor guys don't tether their donkeys to food. Okay, just... He washed his uh, garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his feet whiter than milk. He is rich and powerful. This comes along the line. King David, King Solomon are descendants of Judah and eventually culminates in Jesus Christ. Zebulun, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. So he's got like port cities, but history tells you his offspring actually ran all throughout the promised land. Issachar, verse 14. Issachar is a strong donkey. He's a big dude crouching between the sheepfolds. So he's a big dude, but he's sleeping. He's taking a nap because his land is so good. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant of forced labor. Started working hard and well, but then everything started to go really well. So he got really lazy. This is also like a lot of guys today. He sleeps and he's really good at sleeping. Jacob is really honest with his kids. Perverts, thugs, and you're lazy. you got to grow up. I, I think America is becoming a lot like Issachar. I think that we're looking for people to always take care of us. You know, it is not the government's job to take care of you. It is not the government's job. I was watching this news report on Friday night, and it talked about how right now we have something like 10,000 drones that are flying over America spying on its, its own people. And I'm like, what? And then somebody, you know, they do these shout-out tweets, right? Someone like wrote into them and said, yeah, that's okay. I'm not doing anything wrong, and so it's okay if it gives me more security. You know, the founding fathers said he who would give up liberty for security deserves neither. And we look at the government, we expect, oh, the government's going to take care of me. The government is supposed to be a servant of the people. And yet today the people are coming, and they're becoming a servant of the government. And we must be really careful about that because we are turning into Issachar. You know, God says, you know, if you're able-bodied, you can work, you work hard, you work well, you, go, you don't become lazy and everyone else take care of you. You take care of them. You take care of kids in foster care because you can. Dan, verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. This is a compliment. He's saying, Dan, you're going to be an arm of justice. Gad, verse 19, raiders shall raid Gad. Imagine you're this kid. You're like, what? Punk kids are going to beat me up all the time? Yes, that's what's going to happen, Gad. But he shall raid at their heels. As they make a run for it, you're going to track them down. And you're going to take care of business. So he tells his son, don't run, don't cry, just get ready. It's coming. Verse 20, Asher. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. He's going to, Asher ends up having great land in the promised land. Naphtali, verse 21. Naphtali is a doe that loose that bears beautiful fawns. 
Uh, some Hebrew commentaries will, will tell you that uh, Naphtali was a, was a cute dude. He had a cute wife and really cute kids. Okay, so it's like, oh, but he also uh, had the region that was in the upper area of Galilee, so it's rich natural resources as well. Joseph, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. And this is what Joseph's life was, was like. He was his father's favorite. And his brothers shot at him and took him down and sold him into slavery. If you are rich and you are powerful, everyone's going to take shots at you. In our culture today, we love to set celebrities on pedestals and then watch them fall. We do it all the time just because we're jealous. Now, a few weeks ago, the lottery was at like, what, $600 million or something like that, right? No, you don't know. Okay, it's like $600 million. Do you know what you do if you win the lottery? First thing? Well, first thing, give the element. No, okay. But the... Come on, people. Change your phone number. So the first thing you really do if you ever win the lottery, not that I'm encouraging you to play the lottery, okay, but you get a lawyer. Because as soon as you get money like that, it's published, and people start to sue you. They will hang out the bottom of your driveway. Oh, they're backing out. Oh, you ran over me. $20 million, please. All the time. The first things people do is they get a lawyer because you have to have one because people are horrible. And this is what his, Jacob is saying to Joseph, his son. You know what, Joseph? They long to take you out because there's something wrong with people. And he says, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is a shepherd, that's Jesus, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Meaning when they attack you, you will come out on the other side like Joseph did. Blessings of the deep that uh, crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and the womb. You will have kids and grandkids. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. You have a hard life, but it's going to be a good life in the end, Joseph. And then verse 27 is Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring the prey in the evening, dividing the spoil. So he is a hunter and he is a warrior. And what you see here is that God inverts everything. The the lastborn becomes like the firstborn. The baby becomes the strong warrior. And God works out things not exactly how we'd always expect because God is concerned with new birth, not just with birth. Verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. This is blessing he is blessing them by telling them the truth each is suitable and appropriate but it's all blessing because he knows the difference in all of his kids if you look throughout history a lot of them actually listened to this and a lot of them began to change and this is the idea that that god disciplines his kids and you read throughout the scriptures you understand god also delights in his kids you understand that god first delights in you and then he disciplines you he loves you and because he loves you he disciplines you and a lot of us are disciplined in different ways because kids are all different some kids love theology some kids love juice right and so they're just all a little bit different and you parent that way jacob doesn't pray a blanket blessing over his kids it is specific to each and every one and he's honest in his blessing about them growing up into who god calls them to be because honesty is important this is why paul says you speak the truth but he doesn't stop there he goes on to talk about how we speak the truth how we speak this blessing And this part is really important because you can see like totally destructive things in people's lives and you may never say anything to them at all, no matter how close of a friend they are, until they do something that hurts and irritates you. And then it's like, oh, I'm ready for the ministry of unloading right now because I got all these rocks that I had and I'm ready to just throw them at you. And then we go after somebody and it's not speaking the truth in love, it's speaking the truth in righteous indignation. This is why Paul says you speak the truth in love. That is what Jacob did. It wasn't self-righteous speaking of this. It was in love. 
Charlie and Martha Shedd are writers and teachers on Christian marriage. Uh, they had a relationship that was deeply open and honest and always in the context of love. Now, Charlie writes that the single most memorable letter he ever got from his wife was when they are in the middle of a gigantic fight. And this is what she writes. Dear Charlie, I hate you. Love, Martha. <laughs> and he loved that because that was how she felt at the time, and he, and he was cool with that. We need to speak the truth right? But it's in love. But why do we speak the truth in love? He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, because the point of all things is Jesus. This is why Jacob talks to his kids the way he do, because he wants them to follow God. He wants them to understand their calling and what they're supposed to be doing. So let me get really practical with you guys for a moment, because you're all kind of young, and so let's talk about something practical to all of you. Let's talk about real-life communication, let's say emails. <gasps> No, don't touch my Gmail, right? Okay, so if, if you're mad at somebody, maybe thinking about them, makes your blood boil, they did something to hurt you, how likely is email to be a great Christ-like communication technique of love and truth and grace? How, how is that going to work? Exactly. It doesn't. You know that researchers are now doing study after study on the damage in communities done by flaming emails to each other. Because if you're sitting at a computer, you're not looking at another person in the face, you forget they're a human being. And so you rehearse like conversations that maybe never even took place. It's like, well, if I said this, they would say that. And if I said that, they'd say this. And you got this whole conversation that never took place. So you write an email of sarcasm and hostility and contempt and judgment. And it all gets expressed in a way you would never do in the presence of another person. And then you hit send. And you feel so better. Oh, I just had a great conversation. No, you didn't. You hit send after you just puked all over somebody. That's all you did. And it goes out. And it can last forever, forever. I have seen chains of emails between people where they're just writing because they disagree with something. Maybe it's a theology difference or a cultural difference or a political difference. But what comes out is not disagreement. What comes out is a level of contempt and it's jaw-dropping. You've got to think about this. If I was going to send this email to somebody, would I read it to Jesus first if he was sitting next to me? And if you say, well, yeah, I'd read it and I'd send it, you need to figure out who Jesus is, okay? Because most of the time you should be like, I don't think you should send that. I'm going to blow up your computer right now. That's what I'm going to do, you know? You've got to understand what we do is supposed to be in love, in love. But, it, but when we send emails, half the time it's not in love. It's not even most time in truth. It's what we think might be the truth because we convinced ourselves. It's not growing anyone. Luke 6.31 says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. What if we did the golden rule of email? You know, you, you only email unto others as you would have them email unto you. How many of you be willing to actually do that? Just golden rule of email. Okay, so for the 15 of us, great, all right? So for the rest of you, you're like, no, I want to reserve the right to simply email people as it seems important to me, all right? That's truth. I'm speaking truth. You don't speak truth in self-righteousness and in judgment and sarcastic ways. All that does is give the evil one a toehold in your life and in our community. You speak the truth always in love. And I'll tell you, the best way to do this is by invitation. This is one of the reasons why gospel communities are so important at Element. Because we want you guys in community with other people that you can trust, that you build a relationship with so they can speak truth into your life. I have some people in my life that, that have the ability to, to say when they see me doing something to say, you know what, you are messing up here and you've got to change. They have the right to call me on it. And if you're wondering if you can be one of those people for me, I am full up. Okay? I don't need anybody else. <laughs> Although I do hear maybe like you know, Eric and James and Jonathan might need some more people. So you can go talk to them. <laughs> Just throw them under the bus right there. Now... 
I mean, how, how many of us, when we look at this, we were like, I don't really want somebody to know that deepness about me. I don't want somebody to be able to call me on things because it just makes me mad. Because speaking the truth in love always requires trust. And so you build that trust, and it takes time. But a Christian community that doesn't speak the truth in love is not really a Christian community. It's where grace and truth all come together. That's the cross. You know, only Jesus can enable us to speak the truth in grace and love because he is the one who first offers it to us. Only the cross do we see the full extent of God's grace and acceptance of us because we can understand the truth about ourselves, the truth about our own sin, and then in light of what he has done and forgiveness of his grace. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to kind of wrap this up a little bit, but it's going to take a little bit uh, to get there. Uh, We have this issue in our lives where we forget God way too often. And this is one of the reasons we come to communion every week. Because communion, Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. When you do this in remembrance of him, you can't get around him in communion. That's why communion is a great place of repentance. And so, you know, what I want you to do today in communion is remember some of the sins in light of the cross. Because one of the things our own sin does in us is it makes us only see what people have done to us. And not what we have done to other people. You know, how, how, oh, they shared the truth with me? How dare they share the truth with me? I'm so mad at them. Or they dare share the truth with me? I've seen what they've done to other people. And we just start pointing all out there. We must realize it starts here. God works in our heart and then works outward from there. So in repentance, we ask God to reveal as much truth about our sin in our lives that we can bear so he can heal us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that today with you. And I know I'm going to move this thing so it looks like, seriously, I can do like 20 push-ups, but I move this and I look like a girl. Not there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> like, I hate him. I can't believe he says these things. So what I'm going to do is I want to walk you through some things about truth and honesty and all that. So what I want you to do is I want you all to close your eyes real quick. Okay? I want you to close your eyes. We're going to spend some time in self-examination. We're going to let God speak truth to us about confession and repentance. And I'm going to mention these one at a time, and I want you to walk through these just with your eyes closed. Okay? What I want you to first do is remember the words that you have said over the last day or the last few days, maybe over the last month. I want you to think, think of those words. I want you to think where you've used words that were deceptive. Maybe like Jacob used words that were deceptive earlier in his life. Maybe think about where you've said things so you looked better to somebody else or where you tore somebody else down so that you would feel better. Maybe somebody offended and hurt you so you just snapped back and said something really mean. Think about that. Where have you used words to manipulate somebody else? Where have you said words that were bitter? Or did you withhold words of love and encouragement that you actually should have spoken to somebody else and yet you didn't? The next thing, I want you to remember your attitudes. Where have you been judgmental in your life in really ugly ways? Where has envy gnawed away at you in your heart? Where have you felt entitled to something instead of simply being grateful for the blessings that God has bestowed in your life? Now I want you to think about your finances. Okay? You know, where have you not been trusting God for the security in your life that God says that he will take care of you and he will be the one who lifts you up and takes care of you and sets your feet on its way? Wherever you not have God's heart for the poor, where do you need, you know, to figure out this idea of where you've been hoarding things in your life? Maybe you have, like, undisciplined desires in you. You know, maybe where places you can actually learn to give. And then remember your behavior. Where have you mismanaged? You know, where have you, where have you sinned maybe in your sexuality? You know, where have you had a bad habit that you need to bring under control, but you've not been willing to bring it into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
because you actually like doing whatever it is? And then where in your life have you really just been plain selfish? And you walk through those things in your mind because healthy conviction brings us towards the greater glory of who God is. It's not about condemnation. It's about grace and walking through to become the people God calls us to be. Now, open your eyes. This is why in communion Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And so when you hold the bread and you break it, we're reminded that it's our sin that broke the body of Christ and the heart of God. We do not use the cross as a way to simply wallpaper over our own sins so we feel better. Oh, I took communion. Oh, I said these things. Oh, now I feel better. We earnestly seek Christ knowing that we have been forgiven by him and live lives that fully honor who he is. And so you take that, that cracker that you broke and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice because it was his blood that was shed for you and I to wash away our sins. There'd be some prayer if you, uh, deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe you're in a place where you really don't even want to deal with those questions. If you'd like to take them home and look at them on the back of the sermon notes on the communion tables this morning, is that those questions I just asked you to kind of go through with me real shortly. And if you feel like you can't face it, talk to one of the deacons or elders in the back. And then maybe, you know, walk through it with them and just be like, you know, I can't face this on my own. I need someone to help me face this. Maybe you have a gospel community that helps you walk through it and face it together. Because I'll tell you, we ask God to take these things in our lives so that we can actually be healed, to be who he calls us to be. Giving this offering boxes and sidewall in the back, and we don't pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done. It's about you know, getting up and actually giving. And in fellowship, there is food in the back, but I want you to leave here this morning with a renewed sense of speaking the truth in love, like Jacob does to his kids, like God does to us, and like we need to do to each other. It is not rude, it is not self-righteous, but it speaks the truth because the truth is what needs to be heard, not lies, so that we would grow into the head who is Christ because it is all about Jesus. It is, it is not about speaking the truth to make someone feel guilty or to make somebody hurt. It is the whole purpose behind speaking the truth is so we grow, we become the people God intended for us to be. Because we are a people who long to stand in the light. A people who long to stand in his grace and in his goodness. That's what we become. A people who fully honor his name by how we live in all things. That's what we do. So today, begin to be somebody who walks and lives in the truth. Everything laid at the foot of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as your people. And that we would hear and know and understand your truth. That is given through your word. That is given through your spirit who resides within us. You say that you will no longer write the law on tablets of stone, but you write it on our hearts. And yet sometimes you want to make our hearts so calloused so we can't hear the truth that you've written there. And this morning I ask that you would pull the calluses off so we hear that truth and that grace and that life. That we be not just honest with ourselves, that we become honest people with those around us. And that we would trust you in all things. That your people would be those who are known for their honesty. That you would inspire us to live lives that prove the grace and the majesty of who you are 
in all honesty and all truth. That the honesty would bring great hope, not just to ourselves, but those around us, because they know we are a people who can actually be trusted. Teach us to do all of this in our lives in Jesus' name, knowing fully that it's not about us. It is about you and your greater glory and your greater honor. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.